Good morning. Would you do me a favor? Would you take out your worship bulletin? We've got a couple announcements that I just want to point out. I'm going to ask for some help. And I also want to say a big thank you to those of you who have already started to bring in back in the baby bottles that are filled up. Thank you. Notice this one. It's great. A lot of change in here. Notice this one has just got some green in here. This one's a lot easier to count. I'll just say I've been there before and been that counter. Um, so they're going to appreciate this one. But this will also appreciate this one. I don't want to say that. But I've already seen, I think we have like six already back in. I think we gave out around 30. Like end of the month. That's when we're hoping. So end of July, if we could bring these back, that'd be great. Of course, if you bring in after that, of course, we'll, we'll still take them. But all right, announcements. Men's group, we are meeting Saturday, July 17th. That's this coming Saturday at 8.30. What we do is we eat. We eat. Yeah, it's great. We talk about what's going on in our lives. You don't have to share anything. You can share something. Hey, you know, uh, whatever you want to share. And then we pray for each other. That's all we do. So if you'd like to come out and be a part of that, we would love to have you out there. You have to be a man. That's the only criteria. All right. Kid zone. Yeah, even young guy. Yep. Kid zone. Uh, that's also Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m. You can drop off your kids. Get a nice night out with your spouse, or if you don't have a spouse, a night, night out where you just take a nap or anything like that. We'll smack your kids around with some dodgeballs and have fun and uh, get them tired so that they sleep good. We're also doing a food giveaway. We're going to be part of a food giveaway tomorrow. This one, I kind of need to know who might be showing up to that. So it's tomorrow at the school. We're going to be passing out. All right. Thank you, Lanny. We're going to be passing out food. And we need like six, seven, eight people. So if you're going to be doing that or can join us, would you just raise your hand right now? It's from 8.30 to 11.30 at the school main entrance. All right, so we have three, four. Do we have teens? Yeah, all right, Ethan, Lydia, okay. So, and then we might be able to grab some other teens and everything. Okay, all right. So if you're a part of that, tomorrow, 8.30 at the school We'd love to have you. I know some of you work and, and everything like that. Um, and then just a, another note, church board will be meeting at July, uh, Saturday as well at 10 a.m. That will be our first new church board group, and we'll be meeting. Uh, it's going to be a little bit longer than the typical hour one that we have because we're going to go over committees and, and do some things like that. So uh, we'll get you more information about that. But would you stand with me? I don't know about you, but... Uh, the further I get along in this pastorate, the more I realize, like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and the more I realize that God does, though, like, his guiding, going through Revelation right now is perfect. Perfect. I mean, God is teaching me so much through this, and I think it is the perfect message, and I hope we're all getting that message. And so um, my desire right now is just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to move in our midst and to speak to us and so that we would have ears to listen and that we would hear directly from him. I pray that while the people are singing, we hear from God through the words that are spoken. I pray while we're reading the scripture, we hear from God through the words that are spoken, through the scripture, right? I pray for our kids as they go back to the class and get to hear from the teachers. I pray that those teachers have wisdom, right, to speak directly to us. I want, us to, I want us to be a church that is making a difference and impact for the kingdom, right? And not just playing games. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the ability to worship in your name. Father, help our focus to be all on you, not on what an amazing worship team that we have, not on uh, great preaching. No, Lord, we want our focus to be on you. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you, would you quiet our hearts so that we can hear you? Would you remove all the, the things that get in the way? Father, I pray that you would prevent the enemy from getting in the way of us hearing from you, from us being called by you. Lord, light us on fire. Lord, we, we pray for the other churches. Father, praise God that, that the, Meneth, the Methodist church, the churches are meeting again. We, Lord, we praise you. We pray that you would guide them. Lord, that they would remain scripturally sound 
and be, be dedicated to following your word and not what man has to say. Lord, we pray for the CMA church. Lord, as they're dealing with COVID, a COVID outbreak right now, Lord, I pray that you would protect their people and that you would light them on fire. Father, every other Bible-believing, Jesus-worshiping church that's in this community or any community that's in this United States or all over the world, Lord, we pray for the, all the churches all over the world. Lord, watch over them. There are some that are in, in harm's way, some that are being attacked and persecuted, like we, we read about in, in the beginning of Revelation. They're dealing with that stuff today. Lord, I pray that you'd watch over them. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. Father, help us to be a blessing to them. Lord, I pray that you would call somebody in here to be a missionary, maybe to one of those regions. Lord, I pray that you'd call us all to be missionaries to our workplaces, to our friends, to our neighbors. Lord, give us opportunities just to stop and to talk to them and to share the good news. Lord, I pray for random occurrences where we're out pumping gas and I pray somebody would come up to us or we'd see somebody and, and be, be encouraged to go up and talk to them and just have that random conversation, Lord. And I pray that you'd steer it and you'd use it to share the good news about you. Lord, we give you all honor and praise. Lord, I know there are, there are heavy things on people's hearts in here today that they're dealing with, with families, with spouses, with things that they're, they're going through, Lord. I pray that they'd be able to lay them down at your feet and entrust them to you. People are tired, I know. Lord, strengthen them, revive them. Give us a boldness, Lord, to go out in this world and be salt and light. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen.
We are going to be in Revelation 2, beginning at verse 12. Revelation 2, we are looking at the third letter, or the letter to the third church, I should say. We started last week with the first letter to the first church at Ephesus. We're skipping Smyrna, and we're going right to Pergamum. Pergamum. So Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Starts off this way. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I hope that grabs your attention. Right? All the letters to the churches start off with uh, Jesus identifying himself in some way. And this one is no different. In the, in, the, in the letter to Ephesus, we saw Jesus is the one who has the seven church leaders in his right hand, right? And he walks among the seven churches. In the church to, letter to Smyrna, he says um, Jesus has identified himself as the first and the last, the one who died and rose again. To Pergamum, Jesus is the one with the sharp, double-edged sword. Jesus identifies himself to, in this way to get their attention. I think this is serious. There's some serious judgment or potential judgment coming to this church. You know, something stood out to me this week as I was studying for this and preparing this message about all these churches uh, that I've never noticed in reading the book of Revelation, which I've read through on numerous occasions, but God is not playing around. God is not playing around here. Last week, it was, hey, get your church in order or I'm going to take the lampstand away, right? This week, it's, hey, I got a sword. He's not playing around. Christ started a work and has called the church to be a part of that work and we better get serious about being a part of that work because if we're not, the sword's coming or the lampstand's going to be taken away. So, we can't be playing around because there's a war. There's a war going on right now. There is a spiritual battle going on for souls, for homes, for your homes, right? For our kids, for our marriages, for our country, for other nations. And I'm starting to see this more and more through the study in Revelation, I see the battles. Some of you share some things that you're dealing with, right? I see the battles, and I see us winning some wars, winning some battles. And I also see us losing some battles. We have to get serious. We have to quit playing around. And I hope studying Revelation reminds us of that we have an enemy that hates us he's not playing around he hates you he wants to destroy you he wants to destroy your kids he wants to destroy your marriage he wants to destroy your family and we have to be aware of that and we have to resist him otherwise he's just going to keep picking on you he's going to keep picking on your family he's going to keep coming for it we've got to get in the game we've got to get into the war I pray, I pray that Revelation is that wake-up call for all of us, including myself. Last, last week, I'm reminded, man, I can get too busy and, and neglect my relationship with Christ, my personal relationship with Christ. It seems like I'm doing a lot of good, but I feel that. I feel, I feel my manner of talk change when I start neglecting my relationship with Christ. It affects me. It robs us of our, our power. We have to be careful. Man, how is your relationship with Christ? I hope you were reminded of that last week and made some decisions and, and are following through with that. Well, today there's a new reminder. There's something else that we need to be aware of. Verse 13. Let's get to it. Verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet... You remain true to my name, 
You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Some interesting things in here that we need to start off. First of, first of all, apparently Pergamum is a place where Satan has his throne. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is his city. Yet Jesus recognizes that the church has not renounced their faith in him. Right? They haven't denied Christ. Not even when this person named Antipas was put to death. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes too. But what is this place Pergamum? Pergamum is about 100 miles north of Ephesus. It was one of the most influential cities in the Roman Empire. It was a center of politics for Asia Minor. All right, all the decisions about this area went through this city. Here, they perfected a parchment made out of calf skin. It was what people wrote on, very important. The city had a library with over 200,000 books, the second largest in the ancient world. The Roman general Mark Anthony gave it as a gift to his bride, Cleopatra. It had a university. It had an amphitheater. It was well known for the arts. The amphitheater used to be able to seat 10,000 people. And the acoustics were so good that they said you could hear a whisper from on stage all the way in the top of that amphitheater. Pergamum was an interesting city. And yet Jesus says Satan has his throne here. He doesn't say that about any other city that I know of. This is a, a dark city. Maybe we could call it Sin City. There were pagan temples here. One was to Zeus, and on top of this temple was this great altar or throne of Zeus. Some scholars believe this is what is being referred to in this passage here. Kind of interesting, in 1930, Germany began to dismantle this throne, this altar, and they actually brought it back to Berlin, and they put it on display in this museum, the Pergamum Museum. This is something that people like Adolf Hitler would have viewed when they went through that museum and been influenced by. The city's chief god, though, was the god Asclepius, the, the Greek serpent God. I've, I've actually preached on this one before. Maybe you remember that. But this was a very famous healing center in Asclepion. They built this in, in honor of this Greek serpent god. At this time, it was a cross between a hospital and a spa. So you could come from everything from a mud bath to surgery to this place. The Roman emperors would come here for their treatments. That's how important this was. Now, the interesting thing is that patients entered through the basement, through these underground tunnels. And get this, all right? They would drink a sedative when they came into this place. And then they would spend the night in one of the dormitories in the bottom area. All right, now remember, Asclepius is the what god? Serpent god, right? So while they're sedated, they had lots of non-poisonous snakes that crawled around all night in the dormitories where they're sleeping. So the patients were told that if the serpent god Asclepius would speak to them, uh, he would slither over them and maybe impart something in their dreams. It was thought of a good sign if a snake slithered over you while you were sedated. I'm, I'm not following that. I'm not buying that, right? No, no, no. The next morning, the people would tell the surgeons and these priests what dreams that they had. And then the, the priests would prescribe some treatments. Pergamum was also the first city that believed Caesar was more than just a man. They started to worship him as a god here. There were three temples built in his honor, dedicated to him in this city. So the people of Pergamum worshipped many Greek and Roman gods, Zeus, Athena, and also the Roman emperor as well. While Christianity arrives on the scene, and Christians believe there is only one God, right? Jesus Christ. So immediately the Christians were at odds with the culture in this city, with the pagan priests. This is where Antipas comes into the picture. 
Antipas was the leader of the church here, and it was said that his prayers hindered the worship of these other gods. People were no longer coming to the feasts and worshiping Athena, Zeus, or the emperor. Well, the governor gets involved and orders Antipas to offer a sacrifice of wine and burnt incense to the statue of the Roman emperor in honor of him and declare that the emperor was Lord and God. How do you think he responded? He refuses and he's sentenced to death on the altar of Zeus. It was a gruesome death. He was bound inside of a large, hollowed-out bronze bull, bound inside of that. Then they built a fire underneath. They lit the fire, and he was slowly cooked to death, roasted to death. And it was done in such a way that his head would have been inside the bull's head. And so as he started to scream in pain, it was like that bull came to life. This is how he died. Painful way. And he could have just avoided it if he offered a little incense and a wine offering, right? If he just said something, and he didn't mean it, if he just said it, he could have avoided all this. But he didn't. He stayed true, and, and that's why Jesus refers to him as his faithful witness. The word witness is, is the Greek word martis. It's where we get the word martyr from. When you read in the Bible about the people who were witnesses to Jesus, to Jesus often it meant that they were killed or they were persecuted in some way and they did not deny Christ. So when Hebrews talks about a great cloud of witnesses, these are more than just people who testify to who Jesus was, who Jesus is, right? These are people that refused to deny Christ at some cost. People that were faithful in the face of death. So here we read this passage and we see Jesus says to the church, hey, even in this city where Satan lives, where Satan has his throne, you have remained faithful. Church, you have not denied me. Not even when Antipas died. Verse 14, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, Jesus mentions two examples. You have Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans. The story of Balaam and Balak is found in Numbers chapters 23 22 through 25, and also in 31. Balak at this time is the king of Moab, and he sees Israel come and destroy the Amorites. And then they camp right next door to the Moabites. The Moabites were terrified, and Balak knows there's no way we can win a war against the Israelites. So he sends for Balaam, this, this kind of prophet, to try and entice him to come and put a curse over the nation of Israel. First, Balaam says, no, I, I can't do that. And he sends for him again. And so God tells Balaam, go there, but only say what I tell you to say. So Balaam ends up coming, and instead of cursing the nation of Israel, he actually blesses them three times. Of course, this infuriates Balak, and he sends them away, and they part ways. Sometime later, though, Balaam comes back to Balak, and gives him the secret to how to defeat the Israelites. So Balak follows this advice. In Numbers 25, we see Moab invite Israelites, the Israelites to their parties. Their women seduce the Israelites' men, and as time goes on, these Israelite men start to participate in the festivals and go so far as to eventually worship Baal. The Lord's anger burns against the Israelites and he sends a plague on his people and starts to wipe them out. What happened was the Moabites got the people to compromise in small ways at first that led to big ways, right? Oh, you can do this. 
It's okay. It's just a small thing. But over time, it became a huge thing that led to the Israelites worshiping another god. This is how Solomon, the the world's wisest person, fell, right? There's the same thing happening in Pergamum. And this is what Jesus is trying to prevent. The people are drifting. The people are getting sucked into the culture. And they're getting off course. The church isn't renouncing Jesus publicly, right? They're staying faithful to that. They still go to church on Sundays, but throughout the week, they're drifting. They're attending the pagan feasts. They're committing sexual sins. They're doing the same things that they know they they shouldn't be doing. As the church, we are called to be the bride of Christ. I don't know about you, but I expect in my marriage, I do not want my wife to take any other man, right? It's the same way with Christ. He is to be our God, right? We're supposed to be faithful. We're not supposed to get sucked into other things, little things that lead to big things. On top of that, you have the Nicolaitans who taught that the freedom of the gospel meant that it was okay to do whatever you wanted. That's what the freedom of the gospel provides. Participate in these festivals. It doesn't matter. Eat the food sacrificed to idols. It's okay. Commit sexual immorality. You have freedom in Christ. It's okay. That's what these people were teaching, and and it's obvious to see why Jesus was concerned for the church. They said they were followers of Jesus. They claimed him as Lord, right? But they're also back to their old life, doing the things that they shouldn't be doing, not following the ways of Christ. They were compromising. It's what happens in the church today, right? We call ourselves followers of Christ. We go to church on Sunday, and then we see things that look good look pretty good. They don't look too harmful, right? And we do them. What we don't see is where that takes us, where it leads to. Sin is fun for a season, but it ends up taking us to a place we regret. And we don't even realize it until it's too late. A couple of years ago, there was a mother and a son who got on a raft off the Gulf Coast. The mom said there were no winds and the water seemed really calm, so it seemed like the ideal conditions to get on this raft with her seven-year-old kid. And so they did. Before they realized it, they were out to sea for a couple miles. A current had grabbed them and took hold of them, and they didn't even realize it. They tried to put their feet in the water and to, to paddle back, but they, this time the current was so strong they, they, all they could do is just kind of stop it. They tired out and, and soon they began to be taken even further and further out. Luckily somebody saw this giant swan raft from the beach though and realized what was happening and they called the authorities and they were, they were saved. You search that on Google, you will find tons of examples of people who are caught in the current without even realizing it and taking out in the ocean, taking out on lakes to places that they didn't intend to go. And it's the same thing, my friends, with sin. It seems small, it seems insignificant, but it takes us out to sea. It puts us in danger, sometimes without even realizing it. I know in my own life, Jesus always warns me. The Holy Spirit always warns me, don't do that, James. And yet I justify it in my head. It's not that bad. I can handle it. Maybe somebody else can't handle it, but I can handle it. It looks good. It looks enticing. What will really happen? It'll be okay. And it always takes me to a place that I regret going. What are you tempted to compromise in? What is your area? What do you ignore God's word about? 
What do you ignore God's warning, the Holy Spirit's warning about? Where is your battleground? You know where it's at, right? You know that area. Here's what you need to realize, though. The enemy knows he's not going to win a war by trying to get you to deny Christ. If he starts with that, he knows that you'll say, no, I will not deny Christ. Most of us will not. But if he can get you to compromise in one small area, he has a beach. He has a stronghold to move in and take you someplace you don't want to go. It's the small battle. We cannot lose. We cannot compromise. It's where he wages war from. That's how important this is. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to not compromise. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to not compromise, not even in the small areas. There is no such thing as a small compromise. Remember how the enemy tempted Eve? God told them, don't eat of that fruit, right? The enemy comes in and says, did God really say don't eat of any tree? And he's like, no, he just said don't eat of this one, right? And the enemy says, she says, because if we do, we'll die. And the enemy says, you won't die, right? You'll just know the difference of good and evil. And what's Eve do? She looks at it. It looks good, right? It sounds good. Well, that sounds like I'll have wisdom. And she participates and, and takes that. One little piece of fruit. That's what I do. It looks good. Can't be that bad. I don't need to listen to God. Every time it's a mistake, though. Our job is to not compromise. Oh, you can watch that. Oh, you can do that. Did God really say you can't do that? I don't remember that being in the Bible, right? You ever have victory against something? The enemy doesn't try to bring you back to that same place that you were freed from. No, he tries to start you off small again. Just have one drink. You can handle that, right? That's where it starts and it ends up leaving you, leading you to the place that you were at. Full-blown back into it. Jesus says in verse 16, here's the warning, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There's judgment coming. There are consequences coming. Jesus is calling us, calling the church to repentance, to turn back to him, back to the way in which they were called to live. Otherwise, the sword is coming. I hope I get the seriousness of this. Jesus loves us enough to discipline us. If you don't discipline your kids, you don't love them, right? If you just let them do whatever they want, they're going to get hurt. No, you discipline them, and that's what he does to us. This is where compromise leads. Don't be shocked when you do compromise and the discipline comes. Welcome it. Thank him for it. Thank God for his discipline because the alternative is he just lets you drift away in your sin. Verse 17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Here's the truth of sermons. Here's the truth of God's word. Here's the truth of worship music. Not everyone has ears to hear. Not everyone in here has ears to hear. Not everyone in here cares, right? Not everyone believes this is God's word. What's worth is the people when we believe this is God's word and yet we ignore it and don't do what it says. Not everyone has an ear to hear. How many times do I do that? 
Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? We have to have ears to hear. Lord, give me an ear to hear what you are saying, what you are telling me, what you are warning me about. Don't let me be too busy doing the things that I'm doing and everything that I miss that, right? Speak to me. Let me hear you. Let me hear you clearly. Holy Spirit, I pray that we're all praying that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and and tells us maybe of an area that we need to repent from, maybe that we're not even aware of. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Sometimes we, we look at what God calls us to not touch. And we get a little depressed because it looks good, right? told you last week about Skillet and some bands that I needed to stay away from. We, we see what other people are getting, though, what other people are touching, what other people are involved in. Man, it looks good, and we, we get depressed. We get upset with God. Why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? We feel like we're shortchanged, right? Here's Jesus telling the people, to those that repent and stay faithful, I have these three things for you. Number one, hidden manna. You see manna in Exodus, right? Flakes of honey goodness falling from the sky. The word manna literally means what is it? This is the stuff that fell to the ground and fed the Israelites, though. It tastes like honey bread. If you ever had those rolls with sweet butter at Texas Roadhouse, manna. That's, that's what I bet manna tastes like, right? Jesus is saying, instead of eating that meat sacrificed to idols, right, I'm going to give you food from heaven, stuff, stuff that will eternally sustain you. Revelation tells us that in the end we're going to eat from the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life and we'll live forever. What you and I need to realize is we are not getting shortchanged by not eating that meat sacrificed to idols. We're going to get the manna. We're going to get the good stuff. Number two, they're given a white stone. Back in this time, if you were in some competition or battle and you were victorious in that battle, they would give you a white stone. That white stone was a ticket into the after party into the back banquet, into the feast of victors. Jesus is saying, if you are faithful, you're going to get this invitation to eat with me, to eat at my table. In the Bible, the banquet feast was a metaphor for heaven, right? The white stone was like an invitation to heaven. Now, in this day and age, when you came with that white stone to that party, your name would be written on that white stone when you entered. Jesus says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What's the significance of this new name? You ever notice this? We all get a name from the bad things that we do, right? You ever get a name for yourself in this way? Ah, drunk, loser, unfaithful, homewrecker, divorced, murderer, thief, Michigan fan. <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. I don't know if you've noticed this, though but God gives you a new name, right? Divorced, no, new name. Jacob meant deceiver, and that's what he was, right? God gave him the name Israel, which means he strives with God. Saul, the enemy of the church, became Paul the apostle, right? The missionary to the Gentiles. Simon denies knowing Christ. I don't even know this guy. Calls down curses on himself, and he becomes Peter, rock. Levi was a tax collector. Worst job you could have. Everyone hated him. 
And Jesus calls him to follow him and gives him the new name, Matthew. Time and time again, you see Jesus giving people new names, calling them out of their old lives. I love that he took away my names, my many names of shame, and gave me a new one. Child of God. That's great. But notice this new name. There's really more to it. It's really about intimacy. Because only you and he knows that new name. You ever have a special name for someone? Your spouse or kid or best friend that only you two knew about? Right? There's intimacy in that. My friends, you are not just one of a billion people on this planet. You are not. The God of the universe sees you. He knows you. Sometimes I can't even remember your name, right? And there's only a hundred of us. But he's got a special name for you. He knows you. He loves you. The God of the universe knows you. Remember, though, you have an enemy. He's not going to come against you and try to get you to deny Christ. No, he's going to try to get you to compromise in some small way, in some small thing that causes you to drift away from him, to drift off course. Don't compromise. The enemy never compromises. The enemy is never satisfied with just a little piece of you. The enemy wants to fully and completely destroy not only you, but everyone you care about and love. And he will not stop until that happens. The enemy will not stop until you deny Christ. Neville Chamberlain was known for his policy of appeasement, right, as the prime minister of Britain before World War II. He knew the country was still weary from the First World War, right? And he wanted to escape another world war in Europe. The problem was the same time Hitler was planning to, to take on Europe, to overrun Europe, including Britain. Chamberlain did not want Britain to have to confront Hitler and his army so in September of 1938, he reached an agreement with Hitler, right, that resulted in the Munich Pact. Italy, France joined Britain in agreeing to surrender parts of Czechoslovakia to Germany in return for Hitler's agreement not to invade any other European countries. Ah, we'll just give Hitler this, right? Chamberlain confidently came home proclaiming peace in our time. They believed by giving in to Hitler's demands that he would stop. Evil never compromises. Evil never stops. The enemy is never satisfied with just a part of you. He wants it all. My friends, you're in a battle on many fronts. And even if something seems small, you cannot compromise in it. Can you be reminded of that? Can I be reminded of that today? Would you stand with me? That was my cue. That time's up. <laughs> Let me ask you. Are you drifting in some area? Are you compromising in some area? Is the Holy Spirit telling you on your heart right now, stop, repent, turn from that? Will you listen to him? Will you follow him in whatever he calls you to give up? Will you be reminded that he has something far better for you.
far better. It may look like you're giving up a lot, but I guarantee you, you're not. He's got something far better for you. Would you take a moment and speak to him while I'm praying? And would you discern in your heart, I'm going to repent or I'm not? Make that determination. Quit playing around. Man, I, I, I encourage you to repent, to turn from that. Do, do not drift away. That can take you to a place where you deny Christ. That's the end game. It's not worth it. Father, I give you all praise. I thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now. Would you convict us of any area where we need to repent and turn and give it back to you? Lord, would you help us to make a decision one way or another? Lord, would you show us the cost, though? Would you show us what's truly at stake? Would you lead us? Father, if we make the decision to repent, would you give us the power and the strength to do this? Would you, re- would you relieve any bondage that we're in to those areas? Would you give us freedom from it? And Father, would you help us never to compromise in that area again? Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, I pray if there's somebody who's, who's fallen down and the enemy's kicking them, Lord, would you remind them how much you love them? Would you call them out of this? Lord, would you help them to realize that you're there with your hand outstretched and that you'll pull them out? Lord, we love you. We give you all praise. Father, help us not to be drifting. Help us not to be compromising. Show us the war that's at stake. Show us how our families, our, our loved ones are at stake. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.